Let's do it. Let's do it. Broadcasting from around the world, you're listening to The First 100, a podcast on how founders acquired their first 100 paying customers. Here's your host, Hadi Rodwan. Good to have you on the show, Madison. How are you doing today? Thanks, Hadi, for having me. I'm doing well. It's uh, good to be here. Let me just start with a quick introduction for our listeners. Madison Rifkin is the founder of Mount, an amenity management platform that enables private real estate companies to launch, manage, and monetize their amenities. Mount raised $1.5 million in its pre-seed round from Scribble and General Catalyst. Madison, what is the weirdest amenities that has been listed so far? So we still remain in control over what actually gets publicized on the platform, but some weird ones we've been requested to have go live. One was a podcast studio, so actually very fitting for what we're doing. That wasn't weird. I just thought that one was really cool. And then another one, someone asked to list a hookah pipe. That was weird because it was the middle of COVID, and I was like, there's no way that is sanitary. <laughs> so, you know, they get creative. For the listeners who are not familiar with Mount, it's, it's essentially a marketplace that allows travelers to rent amenities that are owned by property managers, correct, Madison? Yeah, so that's what it does right now. We essentially work with Airbnb hosts, actually, the short-term rental industry, and they take whatever they already own or what they want to buy, whether it be an electric bike, a scooter, a golf cart, and yeah, we, we turn it into a rentable amenity so that you rent it when you show up on property through the app. It's all self-service, all stuff like that. But that way you get more of an experience instead of just a place to stay. You know, the hardest part of launching a marketplace is figuring out both supply and demand. It's like a chicken and egg problem. What comes first? Do I get first property managers or do I get customers? For you specifically, which was harder or which is a harder problem? Is it finding property managers or attracting customers to the app to you know, rent these amenities that are there? Fantastic question, because it's one we, we talk about internally all the time. You know, Mount is interesting because we actually at first didn't even look at Mount as a marketplace. It was actually more of a SaaS. And it was just how can we make these amenities rentable so that they're generating extra revenue? We built in an insurance tech piece, a payment tool piece. So all that still exists. And our business model actually is a hybrid one. It works half SaaS, half marketplace. And so what was interesting and why we didn't think of ourselves as a marketplace is because you have the amenities directly at the Airbnb property. The host already communicates with the guests. So all they had to do was be like, hey, we have these rentable amenities. You need to download this app to use them. And getting the travelers really wasn't a challenge because they were already there. They already discovered the product. And that's partly why we never looked at ourselves as a marketplace until recently. And then we're like, all right, we actually do have this community of travelers. Once they've learned about Mount, they want to travel with us again. And now they're starting to actually figure out what other properties have Mount. And that's how they're deciding where to travel next. So it's super interesting trends we're seeing, I guess, that way that make us more of a marketplace now than a year ago. That's a great story. Before we dive deeper into the strategies you deployed to acquire your customer base, take us back to the founding aha moment. So Mount's had a, a lot of founding aha moments. It's funny, I, I tell this story often, so there probably are a few listeners who have heard it, but Mount actually started as a bike lock company. So it was hardware and that's the lock started when I was 12 years old. So it's been a long time in the making, but really we've seen 
about eight or nine pivots at this point with Mount. Obviously, the locks have been dropped. We're now a software company. But really, the aha moment for myself and my co-founder, just Mount in general, was around probably it was middle of COVID. So timelines are all skewed, but about a year and a half ago. We had just left the micro mobility industry. So we were launching thousands of or helping to launch thousands of scooters around the US, around the country and world, and just kind of were fed up with the way those companies were ran. You know, they let go of 50% of their staff. And I was just like, it's not an industry I need to be in anymore. It was very cutthroat. And so we had about 30 scooters left. We had some locks left over and we had a software component. And I was like, let's do something with this. And the biggest secret from that industry was that their customer base was about 90% tourists, even though it was marketed as a commuting tool. So really our kind of hypothesis was tourists love getting on this stuff to explore and have a fun experience because it's, you know, getting on a scooter isn't something you do every day anymore. So we took that hypothesis and I ended up launching these 30 scooters at Airbnb properties, middle of the pandemic. So like not a lot of people were staying at them, but it did allow us to get a lot of good data. And that was the aha moment. It wasn't us doing that, but it was the response from the host. And their response was, holy shit, I'm making new revenue in a stream that had never existed before. But really what they told us was that it didn't have to be a scooter. They had a whole owner's closet of stuff that they would have liked to rent out, but couldn't, or even sell stuff like firewood, electric bikes is a big one. And they gave us three reasons as to why they couldn't do it. And it all boiled down to they didn't have software that enabled payments, insurance, and like GPS tracking management. And I was like, oh, we already do that for scooters. We do all of that. Like, let's just make it for anything. And so that was the aha moment. We didn't actually get into the shared economy until then. We didn't even know we were going to be in this like marketplace SaaS tool until we started talking to the customer. And so even to this day, actually, I'm really great friends with our early Airbnb hosts. There were four of them to the point where I'm going to be actually in in their wedding uh, in about a year. So it's a pretty cool story. Do you remember your first property owner that worked with you? I do. Well, there's two. The first ever one was a, I guess they call it now an apart hotel, but it's like an elevated hostel because we don't really have those in the U.S. But yeah, it was a brand new elevated hostel. The owner is this fantastic married couple, but it is run by a woman. She lives in Vail, Colorado, Beaver Creek, Edwards, that type of area, and basically had started and built this entire hostel hotel And then the pandemic hit right basically the day they opened and they didn't have any bookings. And it was just, you know, really sad to see. So I I messaged them. I was like, hey, you know, I'm also from Colorado, a local female founder. Would love to just work together and see what happens. And so that was our first ever. Yes, they took a chance on us. Still very great friends to this day. And it's great to see them thriving post pandemic and and all of that. Our second customer was kind of similar. Her name is Ellie Padgett. She runs uh, Home Slice Days in Arizona massive luxury properties. And I think they do it around the country now. She is an incredible woman. I am in awe of her to this day, but she's self-made, self-started, started in like the cleaning business on the Airbnb side and, and worked her way up to managing multi-million dollar properties and very self-sufficient uh, companies. So she was the second ever person to say yes to me. Uh, I flew out and met her and basically helped launch these amenities at her property. So if I didn't have Ellie and Karen backing me from the beginning, it, it would not have been a good start. <laughs> That's a great sco- uh, story, especially that you're doing things that don't scale. I mean, you can't call every property owner. What do you think you've learned from this early on? You know, I learned that our industry is very much relationship-based 
And that's what will carry you forward. So by making those early relationships, especially with Ellie, she was very connected to the industry, still is. And so she opened up 10 to 15 more doors in terms of partnerships, people I should know in the industry. And then that just snowballed massive effect to now where, you know, in the industry, people know what Mount is. So I'd say, yeah, very much relationship based. you got to keep those alive and, and going. So not really a hard sale, but just, you know, our industry, especially we're in hospitality now, is very much, you know, how can we help each other? We want to put out the best experience possible. It's honestly the complete opposite of micromobility, which is last mile transportation born out of Silicon Valley. It's high tech, high cutthroat and very different industries. So I know you've raised a small round, but definitely going to Google and paying ads probably is going to, you know, burn the cash quickly. Did What's your current acquisition strategy to get those property owners into the Mount platform? So our acquisition strategy is one that I am very proud of because we are a scrappy company. We were bootstrapped all the way through our first round of funding. And it took me about five times to raise that fundraise. So we know how not to spend money and I'm not just going to waste it on ads or just random boosts at conferences. I want to make everything very meaningful. So what we found works is basically when there's a conference, cause that's how our industry works. Everyone goes to the conferences. That's how relationships are built, but they charge you an arm and a leg for a booth. If you're a vendor, even for a ticket, it's, you know, upwards of $15,000 and you have to pray and hope people come by your booth, but in a sea of 300 vendors, how is that going to happen? So what I've done is I've gone kind of the growth hacky guerrilla marketing route, if you will. Take Portugal, for example, they just had the worldwide conference for everyone in the industry. Instead of getting a booth, I partnered with the conference to basically trick out one of our amenities, which happened to be a big catamaran in the area, and uh, tricked it out for a fringe event. And I put it out to the entire conference. I was like, hey, you know, sign up if you're interested. I'm, you know, would love to have you on our boat. We had over 60 signups. I think it was over, you know, 15,000 properties, something like that in total of the people and whittled it down to the top 14 I wanted to have on the boat for six hours so that I could build those meaningful relationships. Pretty much everyone on the boat ended up becoming, you know, a champion of Mount, a customer of Mount. And that just had so much more ROI than a booth. And it was really cheap to do because it was already in our ecosystem. It was our bread and butter. The customers got to experience a Mount amenity experience. And then also that was the day before the conference. So everyone went into the conference talking about us. It was, it went viral on LinkedIn. So, you know, stuff like that. And I know we're on the right path because it's causing and ruffling a lot of feathers in the industry from other old school vendors that have done the booth route, you know, for the last 60 years. And that's the way they want to see it going. So you know, we've gotten some hate and not some nice messages about what we're doing, but, you know, I'm all about the disruption and it pushes the industry forward. So I think it's cool. <laughs> what other techniques do you have in mind that are, let's say, non-gorilla related? They're more traditional, but they can get property managers to know that Mount exists. Because if I'm today a property manager that I don't go to these conferences, what's your plan to reach me? So we have two more scalable strategies. One is that these short-term rental host property managers are very community-based. So if we create one champion, call it in San Diego, they can become our referral and basically sign up every single other host in that community. And that's working really well. They all live on Facebook. That's how we got our first few hundred customers. The other scalable strategy is to integrate Mount because we have a rental feature API. We can integrate that into existing software that these hosts and property managers already use. Take a property management software, for example, 
let's say one of those software companies works with 50,000 hosts, we integrate. And then at a flip of a switch, every single one of those hosts gets pinged. Hey, we're compatible with Mount. Click this button to list an amenity and open up new revenue streams. So that's the scalable longer tail strategy. But when you create those partnerships, create software integrations, it just takes more time. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing this. A little bit more about Madison. So you started this company when you were studying. What was your inspiration to, you know, start a company at that young age? You know, I knew from probably the time I could talk that I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. It was born into me. My family is legacy entrepreneurs. It goes all the way back to my grandfather's. They started companies. Some went public, some didn't. So I've heard fascinating stories and I am one of those people. I actually am a triplet, so there's two others of me, but I'm the oldest by a minute. I think leadership was built into me, this entrepreneurship. I'm not afraid to take risks. Like I will fall flat on my face and keep moving forward. I tell our team, if you're not failing, that's not progress. <laughs> so please fail. <laughs> so it's something I always wanted to do. And then, you know, I wanted to start at a young age. I knew I wanted to be a millionaire, a billionaire, and the path to get me there would become a CEO. So actually, when I was in high school and looking at where to go to college, my college counselor told me not to go to Northeastern because anyone that went there became a CEO. That's exactly what I want to do. So <laughs> that's what led me on my path to Northeastern. <laughs> Great story. What do you think is a skill that served you the most on your journey so far? Oh, man, I think, you know, it's an interesting one. I have a very short memory cycle, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's hilarious because I'm a golfer as well. And they say that's why I'm good, because I can't remember the bad shots. I feel like when you're an entrepreneur, you cannot have a long memory because if you dwell on the bad, you're never going to get past it. Um, and entrepreneurship is a roller coaster of emotions. You can have an hour that's bad and the next be the highest of highs. And so I think because I have the ability to have a short memory and not dwell on the past, it allows us to move forward quicker. It's what got us through the eight to nine pivots. I just wasn't ready to give up. And I didn't look at the pivots as failures. I looked at them as progress. So I think it all comes back to that, being able to manage that roller coaster of emotions. You know, one of Jeff Bezos' frameworks of one door, two door decision making, where some decisions you do them and you cannot get back if you make a mistake. Have you done any one door decisions so far? Ones I can't get back. <laughs> oh man, there definitely have been few. I look at them as more just like learning opportunities because I am a first time founder. So. Yeah, I mean, if I could go back and do our pre-seed raise differently, I 100% would because it was double oversubscribed. We turned away money. And then four months later, the total fundraising market switched and it became really hard to raise. So one of those type decisions I would redo. But as I said, I don't remember a lot of them. So <laughs> that's one that stands out. Thank you for sharing this. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would that be? It's a fantastic question. I'm laughing because I was just talking about this with some of my friends, but I'm a person who sets these goals and then achieves them and then, you know, just keeps setting them higher. I believe in manif manifestation and it's working. We do it as a company as well. One of the things I'd like to be remembered for, and it's probably why I will win something equivalent or close to the Medal of Freedom, but I want to be the CEO that has changed the face of business for female founders, for female employees. 20, 40 years from now, there shouldn't be anything close to be called a hostile working work environment. Every company shouldn't strive for 50% equality in gender at their companies. It should just happen. And if I'm able to flip the script where there's more female CEOs in the world or high-powered women, 
than males, I would say job achieved because we should definitely be running the world by then. <laughs> so you're currently the CEO of your company. How would you want your culture to look? Fantastic question. I'm glad you brought this up because I, I tell everyone out there, I would like to build a company that emulates Spanx work environment and culture because I think Sarah Blakely did a fantastic job of just breeding all of the values that we embody, which into the culture, into the work environment, and, and it's seen. It's why they've grown so well and are led by some fantastic females. So that's what I'd like to emulate. And the reason I brought that up is because I'm hoping one day Sarah Blakely will actually be on our board because we are headed into the consumer brand space. So I think it aligns well. But yeah, if we've created a company half as good as Spanx, I will consider it a, a job well done. <laughs> I will try to tag her on our episode. So <laughs> yeah, if she's listening. listening, exactly. One last question, Madison. What's next for Mount? We are in the process of actually kind of saying hello to the world because we've been in stealth mode uh, up until about this point. We did a full rebrand, so you'll be seeing that on our website in the next few days, essentially where anyone can come on and click list an amenity and get started. You don't even have to be an Airbnb host at this point. As long as you host the amenity on private property, it fits with our model. So we're running with that for the next 18 months. We're hoping to grow the supply side of it and then also create this fantastic community of travelers that have been trained to travel light travel with a backpack, rent everything you need in destination from the locals, powered by Mount, and hopefully you all get to meet each other and just have a fantastic journey these next few years. Madison, thank you for being part of our show. We wish you the best of luck with Mount. How can people reach you? Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. If you want to reach us, I would say definitely go list an amenity on our website. But if you want to reach out personally, I am always on LinkedIn, always open to chatting, taking a meeting. So yeah, definitely just DM me there uh, and I'll say hi. <laughs> Thank you for your time, Madison. Have a great day. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The First 100. We hope it inspired you in your journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify, and share it with a friend starting their entrepreneurship journey. Leave us a five-star review. Your support will help spread our podcast to more viewers.